0: Welcome, everybody, to the 18th episode of Quarantined Market Podcast, where some academics get together in the current historical moment and talk about particular keywords. The keyword for today is woke capitalism. And joining us, we have uh, Dr. Carl Rhodes, Professor of Organization Studies at the University of Technology, Sydney. Carl uh, has recently published a book on Levinas called Disturbing Business Ethics, Emmanuel Levinas and the Politics of Organization. And also recently he published a CEO Society, the Corporate Takeover of Everyday Life. Now, Carl has been a force in publishing post-structural perspectives in organization studies, organizational identity, and also identities within organizations. His work also spans business ethics, uh, resistance, gender, and includes uh, influences from Deleuze and even Kafka. Also, Carl has written about popular culture, including The Simpsons, Futurama, and rock music. So, Carl, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Today's keyword is woke capitalism. How do you think we should start approaching the topic?
1: Um, I guess there's many points of... Uh... Of entry. I mean, uh, you might want to, you know, approach it with a recent event. You might cast your mind back earlier this year to the uh, meeting at uh, Davos where the uh, rich and famous gathered together to uh, solve the world's problems uh, by riding on uh, uh, personal jet airplanes to a uh, beautiful uh, Swiss Alpine resort. And the, the big topic uh, and uh, discussion at Davos this year was corporate purpose, and the idea that uh, corporations should have a purpose beyond the, the traditional idea of, of seeking commercial success, profitability, you know, growth in market share, and should start giving back uh, and contributing directly to a broader set of uh, stakeholders as they become called, and for a broader set of purposes that are somehow more elevated and more enlightened and more, more social. And in a sense, you know, this marks uh, a particular point in history um, uh, where corporations have increasingly become interested in uh, supporting particular political causes. CEOs are behaving like activists. And what's interesting, I mean, corporations have always been involved in various forms of philanthropy and giving. But the interesting thing now is that corporations are are involved in causes which are described as woke. We can come back to that term later, but typically uh, engaged in in causes that you would normally associate with a progressive or left-wing form of politics, not that you would necessarily have before associated this with... um, with corporations, so anything from, you know, same-sex marriage equality, dealing with domestic violence, sexual harassment, fighting racism, LBTIQ rights, you know, disability rights, uh, mental illness awareness, and of course, climate change are all issues of of the things that corporations are now publicly backing, both in words and in many cases with uh, significant financial backing as well.
0: I was brushing up on the topic a little bit and I stumbled upon uh, an article uh, last year in Time. Uh, they said that frustrated with political gridlock, consumers have now turned for, to business for leadership. And they cite the CEO of Patagonia, Rose Marcario, saying, I think business has to pick up where the mantle of governments fail you. And they also mention how this is uh, rather they they rather openly say that this is also a very calculated move by companies. So this, uh, I guess, what I'm alluding to is that how much of this do you think has actually any lofty ideals, and how much of this new kind of trend is deeply just seated in uh, calcul- uh, calculative uh, profit making?
1: It's hard. I mean, I think we need to be careful not to, you know, engage in some conspiracy theories about evil corporations, you know, making decisions. And I think there's more about kind of the evolution of of business culture. I think we can be fairly certain that that um, when corporations do engage in in political activities, uh, they certainly don't do it to the detriment of their financial position. Um, and it, and it's commonly described in a way in which there is some you know to use the jargon win-win solution between society and business by by them doing things so i certainly think you know corporations wouldn't uh, engage in, in such things if there wasn't a direct benefit to them and it's interesting i mean if you think about the type of causes that corporations do follow they're not they're very much not the leaders um and they tend to jump on uh, Jump on particular forms of politics that already have widespread uh, approval in 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 society. So they're kind of they're backing winners in a sense, and they're also backing winners that uh, they think will support them. So, for example, here in Australia, a few years ago, when when Qantas, the national airline, was a very the the CEO Alan Joyce was a very vocal supporter of. Uh, of marriage equality as we were going into a political debate around around this issue. But it was also clearly the case that that, that all the polls had already showed that the majority of Australians were in favour of this. So he wasn't making a, a controversial uh, position, but really adopting one that had kind of already, be, already been decided. So when it comes to, to these things, yeah, corporations are, are the followers, even though they might sometimes position themselves um, as the leaders. And if you listen to the, the kind of rhetoric that the CEOs, for example, talk about when they talk about their support of these causes, there is always some element in there that talks about why this will be good for their business um, and why it will somehow have some business case associated with it. I mean, in a sense, that's the kind of responsibility that, that they've taken on and that's the way capitalism work so there is no incompatibility between woke and capitalism even though some people argue that there is
0: so carl as a management scholar or from the perspective of management studies how much is this new trend if we if you will how much is it extension of corporate social responsibility and uh, how much do you think it's just sort of an organic reaction to the idea that people can now more readily find out the politics of, for example, CEOs on the internet. So is this almost like a necessary stage that's happening with the growth of global communications?
1: I think it is very much uh, an extension of corporate social responsibility. And if you kind of track the trajectory towards world capitalism, it, there's, a, there's a direct uh, genealogy from CSR, at least back until, uh, until the 1950s. I wouldn't uh, say, however, that the reason is because of increased communication. I, I would, I, I would propose a different theory that suggests that corporations, you know, as now, you know, almost half a century of, of uh, neoliberalism, have become increasingly powerful, um, increasingly rich the people who lead them chief executives have similarly become increasingly powerful and much much more rich and uh, earning a, a much greater uh, relative uh, income than they ever did before in some cases up to 300 fold of what they might have been earning in the in the 1970s and in doing that inequality has broadened entirely across the world wealth inequality and income inequality and It is capitalism which can be blamed for this. So in a sense, woke capitalism becomes a kind of fig leaf behind which uh, capitalism itself uh, can hide by pretending or by associating itself with particular forms of political morality that might lead people to think, well, you know, these big corporations are really all good because they believe in marriage equality or because they, you know, support this, that, and the other cause. Meanwhile, capitalism as a, as a system of inequality production moves on. Um, even now, you know, with the disaster of COVID, the world's billionaires are still extending their wealth as, as many other people lose their jobs and end
2: up in, you know, dole queues and, and, and queues for uh, soup kitchens. I'm thinking now of some of the Victorian philanthropists who would make these huge civic donations. For example, the Guinness family, uh, creating Mm. lots of social housing in London and Dublin. Or Thomas Holloway, the founder of my own college, Royal Holloway, who who created the college and also a sanatorium as a gift. Uh, And of course, these people would often be rewarded by entering into the establishment and becoming lords and so on. Mm. Would you want to make a distinction between that type of philanthropy um, and contemporary, world well, capitalism?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously similarities, and again, you can draw similarities but with the with the robber barons, um, particularly in the United States. You know, um, have 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 done similar things. So there's certainly some some similarities there, especially when it comes to issues of of uh, philanthropy. I think the difference in terms of today is that the woke capitalism tends to be um, associated more specifically with progressive uh, political causes, causes and also tends to take on an overt political and moral authority and also is directly linked to the corporation, as per Joel's example before um taking over the role that was once uh reserved for government at least in liberal democratic countries so i think that the the politics is is quite different today um on these grounds but there's certainly uh a linkage between the two as well now one
2: when- thing that I've heard on the media is that the Bill Gates Foundation is actually being quite useful in the contemporary struggle against coronavirus and in many cases is able to do a much better job than the United States federal government. So to that end, should we acknowledge that there is some positive work going on or is the correct stance to always have a type of of cynical or or critical disposition towards this type of uh, woke capitalism?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you need to look at it at different levels. I mean, obviously, if, you know, a particular corporation supports something um, and and there are individuals who directly benefit, for example, in the example that that you gave, that's kind of a good thing. I mean, in Australia, for example, you may recall, it seems like a long time ago now, but just uh, around Christmas time, the country was pretty much on fire with uh, bushfires, and many corporations helped out by, by supporting uh, the efforts to relieve that. So if some corporation gave money and it meant that my house didn't burn down, yes, I think that is a very, very good thing. Um, but if we look at it uh, at a broader level, if that also means then that my rights as a citizen get diminished because I have to rely on the the crumbs that fall from the master's table in order in order. To get basic services, then I think in the longer term that's not a good position to be. And similarly, I think we need to be careful too to not to demonize individual people, as if to, you know, to say, as I said before, not no conspiracy theories. I mean, there are many, you know, well-meaning people with very justified motives um, who would engage in philanthropy, who would engage in, in politics and so forth. But still, you know, taking a more macro view of that, I mean, how long does that have to go before we return to a kind of feudalism where we're ruled by the wealthy um, rather than ruled kind of by ourselves in a democratic sense? We're ruled by the people and its representatives, no matter how complicated and difficult trying to get that done is.
0: On this more macro abstract level, in a previous episode, we have already discussed Sigmund Bauman's idea of liquid modernity. And also Mm. we've been touching upon marketization of life all the time. Is this woke capitalism just a good fit with the increasing idea that uh, with the fragmentation of the social fabric and increasing neoliberal ideology and capitalized subjectivity that people now turn to corporations rather than, say, non-commercial entities such as communities or political entities to thread the Fabric of social life now.
1: I think. I, I mean. I think it definitely su- suggests a shift. And of course, you know, the process of of neoliberalism has meant that that you know corporations are increasingly is increasingly the model on which much of life is built. Certainly, economic life. I mean, we've had the privatization of of, of uh, public industry. Um, you know, demutualization of mutual funds, and so. So these kinds of businesses have uh, certainly, grow, certainly grown. I mean, over the course of that time, you know, we've had new public management with with uh, government agencies increasingly uh, running in a corporate uh, model. Needless to say, universities uh, in some cases have become somewhat corporatized. So the corporate, the corporation, both as an entity and both as a kind of, I don't know, ego ideal, almost. Um, uh, Uh, is certainly much stronger. And at the same time, um, in many, uh, it varies between countries, but if I look at a country like Australia, you know, there's not many, I don't see the churches being very full um, and other traditional, uh, you know, community institutions. Um, So I think, yeah, organizations are more and more. And I think also, even if you think of the broad history of kind of management fashions and the move towards, uh, management culture from the organisational culture from the 1980s on, this idea of of the organisation as, as creating particular senses of identification uh, and belonging and in, in your terms, you know, managing people, not just at the level of economic exchange, not just at the level of, of productivity, but actually managing people at the level of subjectivity, um, that certainly would kind of rhyme with, with the things that we've been talking about going on with woke capitalism.
0: So is this sort of an effect of capitalism, in a sense, disappearing into the woodwork, sort of a creating a simulation of community from taking social responsibility into a very ideological function in the form of woke capitalism?
1: I'm not sure it's a simulation of community. I think it's just... A different manifestation of community. Um, however, the difference is important, given that it's closely linked in to the broader kind of economic stratification. So, so it is a community, I guess, in 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 a sense of people, you know, being together and spending time together, and to some notional degree having, you know, shared values and and common purpose and all of that kind of focus, which again you know, managerial language and language of community kind of uh, merged there as well. So I think the, yeah, work is in, in many ways becoming that way, but not all work, of course. I mean, you know, simultaneously with these kind of developments, we've also had the massive uh, growth of the precariat and, and people, you know, working for platform firms and, you know, um, uh, who have very thin... Uh, emotional ties to the place that pays them, you know, Uber drivers, uh, fast food deliverers. I mean, this has, or in that respect, it's quite the opposite because in, uh, with these forms of work, work has been reduced to a more primary form of uh, financial exchange um, without any community. So I think, you know, we can't suggest that work has all changed in the same way, but, you know, to look at particular instantiations of, of different work reveals different uh, trends.
2: I'd like to ask you, Carl, about the impact of this commercial interest on uh, progressive social movements to observes. So to hmm. give an example, I'm thinking of Alison Bechdale's uh, graphic, her columns on Dykes to Watch Out For, which tops the, uh, or, or tracks the, the social world of the gay scene in America over the course of decades. So in the original comic strips, you can see that what it's depicting is very clearly a subculture which is organically connected with, for example, the peace movement um, and other politics, which you might generally call socialist. And gradually it starts to shift towards more discourses of personal empowerment Um, more of a corporate presence, until eventually you see a kind of shaking of hands between what was originally a gay subculture with this broader kind of conservative uh, pink capitalism. So that question of how social movements themselves become re-territorialized by corporate interest, I think, is is interesting to consider. Do, Do you take a view on it?
1: I mean, clearly, yeah, I mean, it's a question of what happens when a corporation supports your cause. I mean, and in some cases, it can actually support the cause. If I look again the example I gave before of the marriage equality uh, uh, vote that was held in Australia several years ago. I mean, and I think what's often difficult for people on the left, uh, such as myself, is that, You know, I see a company like Qantas, who has, you know, a a, you know, checkered record in industrial relations, for example, supporting a cause that I also support. Then I have to question, you know, should I just agree that well they support it and I support it, we're on the same side? Um, But it's not that simple because you know it it does actually change things. And in fact, with that case, there was a there was a whole um, range of. Corporations who collectively, uh, you know, wrote a kind of petition in this regard. So the corporate support was very, was very important in a sense in terms of getting that uh, over the line. And and as a result, as I said, they were followers, but they were still influential. As a result, uh, same-sex marriage was legalized in in this country. Politically, I think that's a good thing. What does the corporate involvement have in it? Yeah, it certainly can make a difference. But then you can have other examples, you know, if you think of, for example, uh, Gillette's uh, intervention uh, in response to the Me Too movement, where they had this, this uh, advert about, um, what was it called, Gillette, the best a man can be, which was which was claimed to be a, a kind of critique of toxic uh, masculinity, that didn't really, that kind of flopped in many ways, and I think, the massive success of the me Too movement in 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 bringing to light um uh, very real cases of um, sexual harassment and and sexual violence wasn't really affected by Gillette's somewhat clumsy uh, association with it. So you know again, different things uh, would would work different ways. But I think the other thing we're thinking is the kind of Causes, uh, even if they are what we might call left causes that corporations uh, pursue, are very limited and they tend to be more on, uh, you know, they tend to be about particular issues. Now, to my mind, the main way that a corporation expresses its social responsibility is by paying tax, the tax that, you know, helps build hospitals and, and schools and so forth. Um, but I haven't yet seen any woke capitalists campaigning for fighting against tax evasion um, or fighting for increasing corporate tax rates for the sake of uh, improving health services or whatever it might be. So, you know, the, the causes get limited to a, to a particular kind. You know, raising the minimum wage hasn't been a woke capitalist uh, uh, cause workers' rights generally not a woke capitalist cause, universal basic income generally not either. So, in a sense, the difficulty is that the 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 kind of financial clout that corporations can put behind causes also becomes a form of agenda setting. Always in politics, agenda setting being a being a central form of how power is exercised. But by focusing the agenda in one way, it can also mean that that other, perhaps even more pressing political issues get put into the shadows.
0: If we approach these cases further, uh, in consumer research, Douglas Holt, already in the early 2000s, wrote about iconic branding. And his Mm. sort of recipe for iconic branding or how to make your brand into an iconic entity was that the brand needs to identify cultural tensions and provide their commodified offerings as a sort of release or a solution to these tensions. And of course, we see some companies do this with the infamous uh, Pepsi commercial, for example, or then the more popular uh, Nike Colin Kaepernick commercial uh, with mm-hmm. the tagline, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything. Now, Holt already back then identified that the way these brands work are is that they are cultural parasites. So they basically both uh, source from the cultural discourses and the tensions, and by doing so, they also create them and uh, reproduce them as a form of marketing. So is this something that we see woke capitalism as just the new form of again, as continuing this searching for tensions and then monetizing them?
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's uh, a reasonable, um, a reasonable explanation, and also connecting them to broader kind of social values. So the Nike example of uh, is a good example that it kind of links into that a whole um, American dream narrative of of uh, individualism and, and and personal success. So in one sense, it takes the issue of you know entrenched systemic racism. In the United States, which is really a, an issue—I mean, it's not for me really to talk about it—but of course, it's an issue affecting many, many people. Um, it's an issue of of uh, race and 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 class divisions, and you know, in Nike's hands, that gets kind of reduced to uh, to a question of individualism. So there's a connection between broader culture as well. But I mean, another uh, helpful way of thinking about this, that the, uh, around the same time, a bit later in the 2000s, David Vogel released a book called The Market for Virtue, um, where he was talking about corporate social responsibility. And he pretty much said corporate social responsibility and, and, you know, ethics, business ethics, operates in a market. So that an organization, a corporation chooses to be uh, virtuous, but they want something back from that. And they want back you know, it could be brand awareness, profitability, public image, or whatever it is that they see as the exchange of that. Now, that's okay. That's a form of economic exchange of a certain type. The problem, however, is the limit of what you're able to do in this context is the limit set by the market. So it is an economic limit that is being... Uh, 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 sorry, the, mechan- the mechanism of an economic limit which is being applied to issues and problems that are fundamentally political. Um, And this doesn't necessarily match up because the limits of the economic may exceed what's required of the political. And I think if you look at the the COVID case we've got at the moment, where the kind of financial decisions that that, uh, governments and central banks have had to make in order to deal with the consequences of the pandemic and deal with the consequences of, of lockdown, are of the scale that far exceeds um, what any corporations could do. In a sense, you know, the, this is uh, of a financial um, magnitude that is well beyond the possibilities of the market for virtue. And this is the issue: is that uh, is that if we, if economic interests determine political decisions, this is a, a, a road that is is potentially very damaging. So, for example, if it wasn't governments, you know, through 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 particularly through um, fiscal policies were addressing this issue, we would be seeing, you know, um uh, even in advanced economies, we would be seeing kinds of uh, poverty um, and job loss that that have never been seen before. So I think these are the limits that are kind of revealed as as well. is that, is that the economic and the political it's still important to, to have some kind of separation even though again uh, neoliberalism uh, seems to have been telling us for a long time that uh, these two things are uh, compatible and almost you know just joined together.
2: I'd like to ask you a question about um, intentionality. So for example, where, where, what they're ticking off is that when, uh, for example, an advertisement is produced, that the authors of the advertisement, which will include the advertising agency and the dispersed crowd of people who, who have to work together to produce an ad, that each of them will have their own set of intentions. And the adverts then, the, the text becomes produced as an outcome of these kind of dispersed um, and diverse uh, intentions. But in the public mind, that that intention can sometimes be reduced into something quite specific. And then also if the, the public might bring a degree of cynicism or expectation, um, which will mean that they're deciding what that intention probably was when the advert was made. And so you get this kind of skewed um, or did this kind of strange connect between an audience who expects that something was produced because of a specific set of intentions um, and then the, in this case, the corporation who might be motivated by something completely different or indeed the the, the set of motivations might be completely fragmented and, and obscure to begin with. Um, and so you get these public um, reactions. So this is a very long winded way of, of, of talking about how it's possible for perhaps even good intentions of corporations to get enfolded into this wider kind of cynical um uh, way of expecting what it is that corporations want to do that that could well be the case um, but on the other hand, not
1: being cynical about corporations and their motives can also produce a kind of gullibility that is is particularly uh, dangerous as well but I also think there's a there's a, a kind of uh, bi directional thing here as well on the one hand, you would imagine that people watching advertising, for example, would also project part of their own motives or desires or positions and assumptions onto those things as well. And I guess to to what extent, you know, is, is something being produced that actually kind of makes sense somewhere in, in between that? So obviously it's not just simply working in a kind of messenger-receiver model. Um, and even with, the, you know, the examples of um, woke capitalism going into advertising, um, uh, they can only happen at a a particular point in in time. For example, I don't know if you know, Ben and Jerry's, the uh, the ice cream company, uh, released uh, an ice cream called Pecan Resist, um, which was deliberately associated with uh, resisting Donald Trump's policies. Um, I believe it was at the time that uh, um, he first took up the, the presidency. But this kind of links, you know, Ben and Jerry's have always had this kind of brand which has kind of, you know, been associated with uh, with certain types of uh, American liberalism. And so that when they resist, you'd expect some people can kind of, you know, project their own views onto that. And I'm, I'm not sure how much effective resistance occurs from eating pecan-flavored uh, ice cream, um, but it might serve to make people feel more comfortable with their own... Uh, political positions, but in that case, does it actually produce any material difference for anybody? Yeah, I can't I can't see that it does in any
2: meaningful way. I'm thinking. I don't know if you're familiar with the book Conquest of Cool by Thomas Frank, which I think he published in the nineties, but one of the arguments that he raises is that against this concept of co-optation and appropriation, because he, he he wants to show that a lot of the advertising agencies in the 1960s, and particularly the creative workers, were themselves very often countercultural people who were imminent within the, the counterculture of the time. So they didn't see themselves as kind of external to the political movements, dipping in and helping themselves. They saw them themselves as, as these are exactly the sort of messages that they wanted to propagate. And so there was an element of sincerity that often got left out.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting uh, in this regard to actually trace the history of the word woke itself, um, which is a word that comes from uh, African-American slang. You know, there are some early uses that have been traced back to the 1960s, and the idea of being woke in this context was about being politically aware, um, especially to issues of racism, discrimination, and inequality. So uh, a word that was very much, you know, owned within... The African American uh, population in the U.S., um, and this was uh, taken up by the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, using the hashtag woke, which became a kind of dominant uh, way of kind of connecting the various social media communications that 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 really enabled uh, the social movement of Black Lives Matter to be so uh, successful. And so successful it was that that. Woke then moved into general usage and also crossed over into uh, into usage by white Americans um, again. And then the meaning of it got slightly translated then, and, and it meant not just about being being alert um, uh, to to racism, but it generally mean, meant being kind of you know politically aware and kind of you know politically right on in a way. Um, even it was, became so popular that in two thousand and seventeen, woke uh, under this meaning um, entered into the Oxford English Dictionary. But what then happened is, and is, uh, is that the meaning of woke, which was originally quite very genuine political stance of kind of self awareness and sociological awareness of, of of the situation you are in, suddenly started to take on a pejorative meaning. Where to call people woke became a kind of insult, and it became an insult, you know, associated with kind of political correctness and um, and you know the idea that, that people were adopting pretentious uh, political positions. So in a sense, that the the as the as the term woke entered into general culture, its entire meaning was uh, reversed, and this isn't the same thing. Often, when we talk, people talk about woke capitalism and woke corporations. It's meant as an insult. Although you know I've been criticising uh, woke capitalism from a largely left position, the most virulent critique is actually uh, from the right, um, who go back to the kind of Milton Friedman arguments from the 60s and 70s that businesses should just be in the business of business and not messing around with uh, with politics because. You know again from from Milton Friedman, that the, you know the one and only responsibility of, of business is to uh, maximize profits to the shareholders, mm-hmm. paraphrasing a little bit there. Um, so there's a kind of complex, particular kind of history in terms of the word "woke um, itself, but much of it is, it is a criticism from the right of corporations who take on what look like ostensibly left causes.
2: Now, speaking of universal condemnation for an attempt at a woke message, can we talk about the uh, Pepsi advertisement with Kendall Jenner, which seems to have been a kind of a signal moment in in just getting the text completely wrong?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Pepsi ad um, uh, in a sense was a a bit of a a backfire. Um, it, it, It almost looked like a terribly bad product placement in a Hollywood movie rather than looking like any uh, serious political statement now that's not to say that pepsi had any different uh, intentions than any other company who was was engaging in, in uh, advertising uh, of this nature it's just that they kind of called it wrong and were too uh, in a sense a bit blunt and obvious as you know pepsi cans were being handed out uh, to police and this was going to solve all the problems of of you know Racial violence with 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 police in the United States. So it was, you know, you guys know a lot more about advertising and marketing than me. But I think this was just uh, a failed attempt, um, as much as anything, as much as anything else. And and really, we're lucky in a sense that they they did get pulled up for this, rather than it, than than you know us getting duped by this kind of shallow understanding of you know centuries of political problems
0: uh, in the United States. So we have the case of Nike with Colin Kaepernick, and we have mm-hmm. the case of Pepsi with uh, solving uh, racial tensions and racial, uh, racial violence with their uh, Kendall Jenner ad. Why do you think Pepsi was such a public disaster? And why do you think Nike has at least, it would seem to me, achieved success with their portrayal of Colin Kaepernick?
1: It's hard to answer that definitively, um, but I'd suggest Colin Kaepernick had seriously engaged in some political activism. So there was a great sense of legitimate political conviction. So I think when, you know, um, and I suppose also Nike as a, as a company has, has long been uh, associated with um, african-american athletes pretty much going back to uh to michael jordan um some decades earlier so i think that there was just probably a bit more resonance of of credibility than caitlin jenner giving police cans of pepsi but it's also an indication of how things have changed i mean if you think of of this thing with nike i mean there's a A story, not quite sure if it's true, that sometime in in the 1990s, Michael Jordan, who obviously has been very successful, um, uh, was once asked why he didn't take a a position on political issues. uh, And he quipped, and and I presume he was just being flippant. And he said, Republicans buy sneakers too. But that compromise has clearly been broken today when you see what Nike has done more recently with. Colin Kopernik. So there's a sign of change there as well. But I imagine it's something to do with the perceived authenticity of the claims being made, where in Nike's case, um, it did appear a lot more robust in that respect than it did for Pepsi.
0: Now, if we think a little bit about the current situation with the global uh, corona crisis, what examples of woke capitalism have you seen? And what do you expect to see further on as we go along?
1: I mean, there's been a few examples um, of of woke capitalism in terms of Corona, in terms of corporations helping out. You mentioned before Bill Gates, uh, you know, providing support, and there's been other forms of support. But in general, there hasn't really been that much. I mean, the whole kind of woke capitalism thing has uh, been a bit a bit quiet during the time of COVID. Um, And obviously, you know, businesses are are suffering financially uh, at this time in different ways. Well, maybe not Amazon, but, you know, many other businesses uh, are suffering uh, particularly at this time. So it makes you ask, really, you know, is uh, woke capitalism a kind of fair-weather friend who is around when things are good for them and, you know, pretending to be good, but at the hard times they sort of, you know... Step away. In some ways, I mean, a good example is um, the American um, finance company BlackRock. Now, the the chief executive of this company, Larry Fink, has been one of the most vocal people in terms of in terms of this, and he annually, uh, over the last few years, has written letters to the CEOs of the corporation that his company invests in. Um, uh, you know, advising them that governments are failing to provide solutions to people and the corporations need to step in and the corporations need a public purpose and that his firm will only be investing in, in companies who, who are like that, uh, Larry Fink himself being a billionaire. But what have they done for COVID? Well, uh, a while ago they, they made a $50 million donation for relief to, for those affected. Now, as I said before, if you're affected and you get a slice of that 50 million, good for you, um, and that's really a, a worthwhile thing that, that people sh- w- will value and can make uh, a real difference to their lives. But as far as, you know, the kind of highfalutin talk that Fink had been uh, issuing in the previous years, this seems like a insignificant, almost hypocritical kind of, kind of gesture. So even though, you know, there were many corporations, at Nike, for example, you know, when when the Colin Kaepernick ads came out, the company's market value increased by six billion dollars. When COVID came out, they made a donation of fifteen million. So you can really see a, a response that has not been significant in in any real way.
0: Thank you, Carl. This has been very instructive.
1: Ah, uh, thank you. I think I probably learned something myself by articulating it in this way. Yes, thank you, Carl. That was great.